Excuse me. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. It is Wednesday, February 24th, and this is Chicky Fitzgerald coming to you with Transition Solutions. And uh, we are talking today about what are your choices. And, you know, as you go about leaving your legacy in life, uh, there are a lot of choices. And I am so excited about my guest today. Uh, I have with me today Teresa Salihu Musso. Oh, I, I did butcher it, Teresa. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. Salihu Musso, no problem. Salihu Musso. There we go. Yeah, and thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you today, Chickie. I, I feel very honored to be here. Well, Teresa, thank you so much. And, you know, when we connected yesterday, I mean, we really connected. And, and I always love uh, love it when it happens with a guest because there are so many great authors who who write about all the different topics about transition. And you have written a book called Rebounding. And uh, the subtitle for that is A Practical Guide to Getting Up and Getting Over It. And and that just spoke volumes about you when I looked at that subtitle. Tell me a little bit about uh, your background and how you got to the place where you wrote this book. Oh, absolutely. Well, in 2006, I felt... um, really inspired to take action to leave corporate America. Um, I had been working at um, an executive management level um, in a a very high-powered sales um, role for a long time and, um, you know, felt very successful in it, but just knew that my life was calling me to something bigger. And, um, And I left in 2006 to open my own coaching agency here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and just had a remarkable experience in bringing like-minded coaches and trainers, people that were really invested and passionate about personal development and growth and organizational development and growth and leadership, Um, and just felt like, wow, I had really found my niche, just, you know, felt like I had moved into my calling, so to speak, and um, was devastated a couple years later when a contract that we had been awarded went south, we had um, gotten the opportunity to build a coaching and training institute for an HR firm. And unfortunately, six months into the contract, after I had done quite a lot of staffing up and um, a lot of overhead expenses really designated towards maintaining and fulfilling this contract, um, had discovered that there were some fraud issues on the interior of that HR company, Mm -hmm. and they went bankrupt the week before Christmas. 2007. And it was devastating, not only to the client group companies um, that that company had serviced, but to myself and to my business and Inspire, uh, my business at the time, you know, it was just full of uh, these passionate trainers and coaches like myself. I felt so responsible to them. Um, and I just didn't have the working capital, I didn't have the revenue streams, the alternative revenue streams built to um, to diversify fast enough. And so as a result, I had to close that business. And it really felt like I had experienced the death of a child, if it makes sense. I mean, it just felt like the whole bursting of <laughs> it, that business. It absolutely makes sense. I have uh, yeah. seen that movie myself. <laughs> well, and, it, you know, you just – you. You have this vision and this, um, you nurture it and you grow it and you build it and it is like a, it is a birthing process and right. you know so much energy to overcome the inertia and just get it out there and get that going and um, you know just huge energy resources, money resources, time resources, and to have the rug pulled out from under you, I felt I really felt devastated. Well, having um, written not a book only... myself, Teresa, I, I'm curious, out of coming out of that process, uh, because writing a book is not the kind of thing where you sit down and, you know, kind of whip out, you know, a bunch of chapters <laughs> and, and hand it off to a publisher and then, you know, just start cashing the checks that start coming in. It, it's, 
it's actually in many well, ways. Well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, in, in many ways, I mean, certainly knowing what I know about uh, writing a book, it, you know, I, I, again, what, what inspired you? I mean, I, I understand the what you learned from all of that, but, but what inspired you to write a book about it? Because that, that really is stepping out and taking the big risk in my book. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, it started out as a journal exercise, to be honest with you. Late in 2008, um, after I had literally closed the doors on the office building, sold the business piece oh. by piece, down to the last desk. I mean, just heart-wrenching. Um, I, I needed, you know, it was, a, it was just a cathartic time in my life, and I needed a way to express my feelings. Um, and so I just started journaling it, and I've always been a journaler, um, and a few months into it, I realized what was going on in the economy and all of the people around me that were suffering losses and setbacks, um, you know, people losing jobs, people under financial stress, which was forcing them to experience stress in their marriages, um, people losing pensions, investment funds that they had built for years and years. Uh, a lot of loss going on in our country and in the world around us at this particular time. And I thought, you know, someone out there could probably benefit from hearing what I have to say and knowing that they're not alone in this experience. And so I began the work of repurposing, really rewriting my journal entries into a packageable book format. Um, right. And that was that was really the beginning of this project. It happened very organically and was definitely not the topic I thought my first book was going to be about. <laughs> Well, tell me, you know, and, and again, I know that you probably had learning just from going through the rebounding stuff itself, but I, but I also know from my own experience that writing about it is, is another catalyst for learning. So what are, what are the takeaways uh, from both the experience and from writing, writing the book about the experience? Well, I think whenever you take risks, I mean, there's obviously um, the fear of failure. And, and there's also a fear of success. You know, either one causes a huge shift in your world. And you have to change up, you know, business as usual is not business as usual anymore. So I think one of the main things that I learned about not only going through the rebounding process from those losses, you know, very similar to the grieving process that I experienced coming out of my first marriage um, and my divorce, which I do talk about in the book as well. Um, but I, you know, and the writing process itself kind of bringing me to a point of realizing that um, you're never going to avoid taking risks if you really want to grow and change. And, and it's okay not to be perfect. It was okay for me to be writing that book even when I was in the middle of the process. It wasn't something that I had to um, be completely out of, like feel like it was done tied up in a nice, neat package, you know, here's my nice little rebounding learning lesson. No, when I was sitting down to write, literally um, there were times when bill collectors were calling me. My phone was ringing off the hook, um, you know, constantly interjecting the reality into my process and um, realizing that that's okay. That authentic space, that place of being vulnerable to my own imperfection was exactly what people needed to hear. Mm. And that was a really powerful shift for me because I think previously I had done a lot of work to manage the perception that other people had as opposed right. to really being in the reality of where I was at. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And it's interesting, uh, you know, yesterday I interviewed Libby Gill as, as uh, one of my guests on the show. And Libby and I are in the middle of creating a, a workshop called uh, uncovering your radical sense of purpose. And the very first part of the work workbook, which we've been uh, finalizing, is about the fact that when you disclose what you're going through, that that's actually the place of power. And that people have this perception that, that it's actually weakness to admit that. Yeah. And it isn't until you can take off that mask. And, and when people ask you know, how are things going, that you can actually say, well, you know, it's been really challenging. And uh, my, my normal co-host on this broadcast, Tiffany Topsick, um, last year had gone through uh, not, not only losing one job, 
uh, you know, through downsizing. But she was also ending the term on a three-year um, uh, presidency in an industry association. And she found that when she would tell people that she was out of work or in transition, you know, they would uh, immediately say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, and, and you know, take pity on her. And, and she finally learned to say, uh, and in fact, we kind of settled in as a, a result of this show on her saying that she was on sabbatical because then people would say, oh, how cool. But she would also be able to share what she was going through and, and again, get, get involved in that conversation but not feel that sense of pity for other people. And so, you know, I think one of the things we talked about yesterday with both Libby and with Dondi Scamacci is uh, getting to the place where you can be transparent where you can share, and then other people can actually help you through what you're going through. And, you know, if they can't help, they they can actually benefit from hearing about your experiences. So I, I think that's just so powerful. And, and really, one of the most important reasons to write a blog or a book uh, or even to stand up, uh, you know, if you have an opportunity to share in front of a group. Um, and, and, again, quite often you do think you've got to have it all together and all done before you do that, but it's actually stepping out that makes it happen. No, absolutely. I mean, you touched on so many important points there. And, you know, uh, there's a huge difference between empathy and sympathy. And sympathy, you know, that, that might be a natural reaction when you share what you're going through with people um, really reinforces that position of being a victim of something um, as opposed to empathy, which is, you know, I'm sharing this with you um, to show that we're all in it together. Right. You know, which is a place of sharing, which is a two-way street, and nobody's a victim in a two-way street in a win-win situation. No one has to be the victim. You know, and your rebounding experience, whatever that setback is or failure is, however you choose, you know, we're still afraid of that word failure attaching to something, but um, it's okay. That's an opportunity in disguise and you know when you can really realize that not just in hindsight but while you're in it going through it that i think is the real place of power and for me that is exactly what this book was all about and hopefully what i was trying to get across in the book which is you know let's not just wait until a couple years after the fact let's look at what you're in right now and giving people the space the courage to be vulnerable to that and be transparent in that um, and and to own it, just to be comfortable owning the space they're in right now. Right, right. I head up a group called the Executive Girlfriends Group, and and women seem to have a, a little bit easier time talking about these kinds of things. But what I'm finding is uh, there there's a tremendous difference between now and let let's say even five years ago, when people had been in a corporate job, you know, their whole career, and they found themselves either by choice or or through you know layoffs or downsizing they found themselves out they immediately turned around got their resume you know polished up and said okay i'm going to go out and find another job maybe with a competitor if you don't have uh, any clause in an employment agreement that you know precludes that or you know maybe even shifting to another sector of your same industry to leverage your experience and and power and what i'm seeing now and, and i i suspect you're seeing the same thing is in in this current economy What's happening is that because of the, the morale of the country, because of where people are financially, they're actually looking at some other options. And, and one that's always been popular is, you know, the, the hanging out your shingle as a consultant and, and of, of saying, um, you know, no, no, I'm not out of work. I'm a consultant. But, but really that, that is, is code word for unemployed in, in many cases. So, you know, I'm seeing people look at different choices and, and perhaps even starting their own business so that never again will they be the uh, the victim in a layoff and, and that they somehow think that they're going to have more control uh, over their life. So what what do you think about what's going on with the lack of morale in the country and, and how it's affecting people's choices as they, they look at how they're going to rebound? Uh, you know, am I a corporate escape artist that actually wants to get out Or am I just biding my time until I get back in? Yeah, I I think it's interesting because I think the combination of elements, you know, the economy um, being in the shape that it's in, and, of course, the job market being flooded with really qualified candidates for most job roles that are out there. So whereas a company, you know, might have gotten, you know, 50 resumes in response to a posting, now they're getting, 
350, 450, 550 resumes. Um, and, and so it really is forcing people to recognize, oh, you know, I've, I've got to differentiate myself and maybe this offers an opportunity for me to look outside of my normal box to some other opportunities. Maybe I have to do that because what if I don't stand out in that slush pile, you know, so to speak. So, you, you know, it's kind of um, circumstances kind of dictate sometimes um, how creative we get with our choices and how creative we allow ourselves to be in that reinvention process or that recreation and rebounding process. And, um, and I think right now, you know, we have a really unique opportunity because there are so many um, options available. So hanging out your shingle as a consultant used to, you know, look just pretty much one certain way many years ago. Now there's many variations on the theme, and a lot of people have been comfortable with telecommuting and using the Internet um, as a real e-commerce tool and uh, a way to brand themselves and extend that brand. So I think there's a, a really exciting opportunity at hand for people. And ultimately, the real choices that lie in front of us, I think it boils down to one choice ultimately in all situations, quite honestly. The choices that lie in front of us is, you know, does this move me closer or in further alignment with my highest self, or does this move me further away from, you know, my highest purpose in life, if you will. And there are a lot of different ways to language that. But we can pull that down from career choices all the way down into personal moment-to-moment -moment choices with what we eat, how we dress, how we sleep, what habits we reinforce in our lives. And I think ultimately people are being given a chance in their careers to look outside the box to say, hey, what is my life really about in the big picture? What type of legacy, you know, do I have an opportunity to leave? And, um, and I think it's really exciting, quite honestly, yeah, to see yeah, people exactly. asking themselves those questions. I think it's thrilling. Well, I'm glad you, you used the word legacy because, you know, we, we pick the theme song for, for all of our solutions live shows to be uh, the song Legacy by Nicole Nordman because what it talks about is, you know, when you're gone, what do you want people talking about? And, and what yeah. do you, and, and that really is the definition of, of legacy. How, how are you going to, um, you know, be the stone that gets thrown in the pond? And what are going to be those, those rings that go out yeah. from your life? And, you know, so many people, and I think this is why we have so many corporate escape artists, because they go through life and, and they got into a job, I know in my industry, which is the travel industry, um, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends who came out of college or maybe even, uh, you know, out of high school and went to work in an airline reservations office or at the front desk of a hotel. And now they're senior executives in the, in, uh, the airline industry or the hotel industry or maybe the technology, uh, companies that service those industries. And, you know, then they find themselves in their late 40s, their early 50s saying, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm not passionate about getting up every day and going to work. And, in fact, there are things that I do that I, I really don't like at all. And, you know, so I think it starts, I mean, like you said, we can use all different kind of language around how you leave that legacy or finding your higher power, or what, whatever those terms are. But at the very core, and Libby touched on this a lot yesterday, and I know Dondi, uh, you know, shares this as well, is it's all about finding what you can be passionate about. And, and it's not that you can't inject passion back into something you're doing by learning something new. Um, you know, last year I, I found I just had been doing what I had been doing for so long. I needed a break. I needed a break from my industry. I needed a break from what I was expert at. And I decided to become a pioneer in social media and, and not just learning the mechanics of everything, but really pushing the envelope and, and pioneering marrying different things together, which is, you know, how, you know, Chickie Fitzgerald with zero media experience ended up, you know, hosting over 150 radio shows last year. So, you know, I think you're right. Now is such a time of opportunity. And, you know, especially those of us who are later in life, you know, we're, we're on the other side of 50 and, and are taking a look at uh, what legacy we're going to leave our kids. Yeah, I mean, there's just um, a remarkable opportunity that's really in front of us no matter what stage we're in. And, 
and it really is a matter of perspective, right? It's just, it's all gets shaped by how we choose to view it and how we allow ourselves to view it. And, um, and I think that's really powerful. I think that, um, you know, in the, the reinvention process, as you're looking at your choices, um, another important thing to recognize, and I do talk about this in the book because, you know, there are times in your life when getting that corporate job and being an airline reservationist um, it can be exciting. You know, your first job out of college, you get to earn your way in the world, you get to learn your way, um, you know, through the process of taking care of yourself. And it's okay to be excited about getting that corporate job. It's okay to be, to own exactly the space that you're in. But that recognizing that it's a dynamic process, it's not going to stay the same. And what might have fired you up 10 years ago, it's okay if it doesn't fire you up today. (laughs) Right. You know, one of our, one of our listeners who's on the chat room uh, made the comment that your legacy is really about who you're being right now at the moment that you're in because, and, and I remember, gosh, uh, decades ago, the, the terminology was, uh, you know, kind of to bloom where you're planted, and today is the first day of the rest oh. of your life, which is all very, very trite. But, but this is actually really true because you're you're beginning your legacy with who you are today, and and it doesn't have to depend on who you were yesterday or or what you went through as you were growing up. But your legacy is actually being created with the choices that you make. And you know, I think it's really, really interesting, Teresa. That this message is so timely, and and one of the things that you address in your book, and and I just, I always love telling people the names of the chapters in the book because uh, I, I get excited by book covers, and you know, when I'm going through a, a bookstore, I, I you know flip over the cover and I, I look at the table of contents. And Teresa's book starts with a chapter called Hard Times 101. And I, I think most of us are already like to the 201 or 301 of that particular chapter. Um, the second one is Reality Bites. And, uh, you know, in the second half of this show, we're going to talk a little bit about that from uh, from my perspective and what I've been through. But, you know, the real thing uh, is, is what you address in, in Chapter 3 of, you know, how do you move forward? And, you know, you do have to deal with uh, what you uh, address in Chapter 4, which is Money Matters. And Chapter 5, which is creating your own economy. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk today about all the different choices, because you don't just have one choice anymore. And Chapter 6 yeah. in your book is envisioning a better way or a better day. And, and you really do have to start seeing what you want your legacy to be. And, you know, yeah. six months from now, do you want to be complaining about, you know, the fact that you had to cut down from $25 bottles of wine down to, you know, two-buck chuck at, at Trader Joe's? Yeah. Um, you know, and then uh, chapter seven is is up and down cycles working together for good. And I think being on a radio show like this and listening to a radio show uh, of this ilk and sharing it with others who you know or who are going through the same things does allow us to work uh, together for good. And then you know the last two chapters, uh, unto thine own self be true. And and uh, I, I want to dig into that a little bit more. And then the last one is living in the past versus living in the light. Oh, I'm sorry. There's one more called emergence, and and so let's let's go from there. And and you know, who do you really feel needs the message that you offer in your book? Who did you write it for? You know, ultimately, I think the people that need this message are going to self-select themselves um, when they read the title. Quite honestly, because I think our setbacks and our failures come in all shapes and sizes. And it can be something as seemingly insignificant as an insult that we suffer to something as monumental or as, you know, as traumatic as the loss of a loved one or loss of a career, um, the loss of an industry, whatever that is. Um, so ultimately, I think it's, it's in the matter of perception, right? I mean, it's where someone is at at the time that they read that. And there are a lot of people out there, but specifically people who have, um, because of um, the economy or because of situations in our, in our marketplace right now, are facing career transitions. Perfect person to read this book. Someone who finds themselves suddenly unemployed. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a huge sense. There's so many people in that situation right now and looking for ways to go. And we've been talking about that. Um, someone who's experienced relationship trauma as a result of the stress. You know, I think statistics show that sometimes a mere $500 extra income into a household 
could prevent a, a major majority of the divorces in our country. Financial mm -hmm. strain, um, career transitions, that result can put a huge stress on marriages. Um, perfect person to read this book right now. I'm actually a native of Detroit mm -hmm. as, as well, and I have to say, Chicky, I mean, my heart, um, every single day I pray for the people in Michigan. The Michigan, Detroit area is experiencing such a huge transition right now. There is so much loss, so much grieving. I mean, literally the loss of a lifestyle that has been built on generations. Um, you know, very similar to what we've seen in the tobacco industry down here in the south. Um, so that, that Michigan and Detroit area is seeing in regards to the automobile industry. So how do you make a transition when you don't know any other way to do it? Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of learning curve involved with that. And so my heart really goes on out to people in all stages of transitions. But those are some of the few that really came to mind consistently when I was writing the book. So as, as you take a look about how you have rebounded, and I mean, you've mentioned that, that you had gone through divorce in the past, and, and clearly you've had a number of different changes in your life that you've had to rebound from. After writing the book, how did that process change? So this time around, how have you rebounded? There's just so much less judgment attached to it. I think that the process of not only this last um, setback and failure, but writing about it, um, the process that we were referring to at the beginning of this interview, has really just allowed me um, more emotional space more emotional breathing room to just honor and trust that, you know, I'm exactly where I need to be right now, <laughs> and I don't have to consistently worry and have anxiety about where it's going, um, judging myself mm -hmm. that I should be this and I should be that and why I, didn't I this and why didn't I that. I guess I'm just learning, uh, you know, and I guess this is age and wisdom and experience kind of, <laughs> Finding, you know, right? It's just a space of, um, hey, you know, those shoulds and woulds and coulds, they're not, they don't serve me well. No. Um, that place no. of judgment just doesn't serve me well. It doesn't help me rebound. If anything, it keeps me stuck in a negative cycle. Right. And, you know, and the sooner that I can get away from that place of judgment, the better. And just allow myself to breathe into the space that I am and just say, hey, you know, how I am right now today is okay. And there are, you know, remarkable things to be grateful for right in this moment. And I think that as soon as you can do that, then a huge surge of new energy is allowed to come in and actually right. give you the energy that you need to take significant actions towards making your circumstances different. But when you're in that place of judgment, all you feel like doing is going back to bed. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, literally that negative cycle can lead people to some really dark places. It, and, it really um, can, and you do have to find something to hold on to. I mean, I, I know I, I've seen that in my own life. So, Teresa, what's next for you? Is there another book in the wings? What are you, what are you investing your time and energy on now? Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on a few projects, you know, bringing, bringing this message to people. I mean, my, my primary objective right now is really to – um, do shows just like this, market the book, the opportunity to talk with people. Um, you know, I definitely see some support groups and some opportunities. There's opportunity on my blog um, to participate. I would love to hear people share their stories, their rebounding stories that they're in right now or maybe are just coming out of, um, and recognizing the parts of their dynamic process. So for me right now, it's really encouraging um, other people to start sharing and using their voices in this healing process, in this reinvention process, and recognizing the, the tremendous opportunity that exists um, as opposed to just looking at it as something negative. So that, that's well, what's next for me. Very interesting. You know, but, that, that's very much where, where I am as well. And I do want to take just a second to thank our sponsor for today's show. We do have another half hour uh, but we, we have had just an amazing uh, offer 
from and again I I spend uh, I've spent the bulk of my career in the travel industry and there there are a number of folks who sell into the travel industry it's not just people in the air car and hotel and tour and cruise industry but people who sell technology and and capabilities and social media and and the US Travel Association runs a conference called Travelcom and it is going to be held in Dallas on March 9th through the 11th and they have given me the incredible opportunity uh, to reach out to those who are in transition, who are professionals in the travel industry or you know, other industries that could benefit from uh, meeting the people who will be at Travelcom. And typically we have oh, 700 yeah. uh, sales and marketing executives and CEOs, uh, really decision makers in, in their field. And Travelcom has given me the uh just an incredible opportunity to do a workshop uh, at Travelcom this year, as well as to grant free registration to those people who are legitimately in transition. And that's a $1,500 value to go to this three-day conference. So uh, if if anyone oh. would like information about that, they can contact me directly uh, at Chicky, C-H-I-C-K-E, at solutions with a Z.com. I'll send you the, the link to the information. But I did want to just, uh, you know, take just a little uh, time to shout them out because I, I'm just so proud uh, that our industry association has been so forward thinking about, uh, you know, not just getting a conference together, which, you know, can often be focused on getting, you know, the right people to sponsor and the right people to speak, but recognizing that we, we do have a hurting uh, group of people out there who, who need to have that, that arm uh, outreach to them. Oh, that's really fabulous, Chippy. And, you know, I'm so encouraged every time I hear examples of corporate America reaching out to those people as well um, because, you know, I, I think it's really false to think that corporate America is the bad guy and, you know, the the, the entrepreneurs are the good guys and, you know, whatever. I, this is an opportunity. I mean, we're all in this together. And, um, you know, and just an example of Travelcom reaching out that way and extending that opportunity um, is really a, a phenomenal opportunity for people to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, and you know, and it it also can feed on other things. I mean, I posted last night on our executive girlfriends group that I head up uh, that anybody who uh, you know still is gainfully employed and who travels all the time and who has uh, miles uh, on their frequent flyer accounts that uh, they either. Uh, you know, don't need to use or don't want to use, you know, the last thing they want to do is get on an airplane uh, when it's time for time off. Um, they're actually donating their miles to these unemployed people so that they can get to Dallas to go to Travelcom, which I, I think is just really, really amazing. So uh, just finding finding ways to give, uh, you know, during times like this to each other, I think, is another really, really big thing that we can do. And we again, we talked a lot about that yesterday, about what you can do you know, when you find out you, you've lost your job and, and one of the major things you can do is find find a way to give of your time, uh, your talents. Maybe you don't have the treasures uh, to give of, but certainly you have time and talents. Well, that's, that's a great reminder, Chickie. And, and, you know, I think blogs offer a great opportunity for that, too, that can be very, you know, cost-effective. But sometimes a posting and, and somebody saying, hey, this is my experience and this is what I'm going through, you know, will resonate and touch someone else's heart and give them courage for the day. Um, and you don't ever know how what you put out there is going to impact someone. So mm -hmm. um, I really encourage people to reach out with that heart of service because that's so important. But um, I would like to turn the tables on you, Chicky, and ask you some questions because I understand that you wrote about your own entrepreneurial experiences in, um, in Bootstrap Business. Well, I did. You know, one of the things uh, that I have done in my career, and, and I stepped out of corporate America actually in 1995, so it, it's been quite a long time ago that I, I was the corporate escape artist. Um, and at that time, uh, actually a few years into it, I had someone approach me about writing a book. And at the time, um, I was considered an expert on the companies that marry buyers and sellers in the travel industry. Uh, there, there was a small group of companies called the Global Distribution Systems. And, and so I wrote a couple of books about that. And in my early consulting career, it made the difference between, you know, charging $800 a day for my services, which at the time sounded like an enormous amount of money to me until I realized you don't work every day of the month. Um, but after I published um, my first series of books, uh, you know, I was charging 2000 a day and then 3000 a day and then 4000 And I mean, all the way up uh, to as much as, as $7,000 a day just from the experience of 
of writing these industry-specific books. And, you know, while that was very satisfying, you know, when the economic times were good, um, what ended up happening is three years ago, um, I just got completely burned out on every single cylinder, uh, emotionally, physically, um, you know, spiritually, just everything. And, you know, I, I went into the office one day and I said to my husband, I don't want to be here anymore. And uh, my husband happens to work uh, side by side with me in our consulting business. And, you know, he's like, oh, honey, just go home and, and, you know, you don't have to work a full day today. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. And and what ended up happening is I, I had had uh, some surgery uh, to correct a physical uh, challenge that I had in the previous year because I had just worked myself into the ground. And uh, during that three months, I realized that as a consultant, you know, while I really was good at what I did and, and, you know, there were bits and pieces of it that I still enjoyed, that I could never retire. And, and you know, that that's one of the things that, you know, I mean, I realize there are a lot of people in corporate America that will never be able to retire on their pensions either. But, um, you know, basically it, it hit me smack dab in the middle of my forehead mm. that, you know, I really needed to find a way to make money while I slept because making money while you're awake is sometimes just too hard. And so I stepped out and and started to build a technology company. And with the help of a, a lot of dear friends and some very, very smart people, uh, went out and raised $7 million. And while that sounds like a lot of money, we actually needed 10 and we got the technology completed. We launched on Travelocity, and less than uh, 60 days later, had to sh- had to shut the company down because we didn't have money for payroll. And our mm-hmm. our current investor had just you know gone way way out on a limb and, and just couldn't go in any further. I mean, we had a single investor that invested nearly six million dollars, and a lot of VC companies don't uh, invest that much in new businesses. So. At any rate, long story short on that front, um, you know, I had had this great experience writing industry uh, papers, uh, if you will. I mean, they were called books, but, you know, they sold for $2,400 a piece, um, you know, so it wasn't like the kind of book that you, you buy on Amazon. But I, I decided that, you know, kind of in the next season of my life, I really wanted to write a business book. And I was fortunate enough to get uh, involved in a book project with contributing authors, uh, Tom Hopkins, Jack Canfield, John Christensen and a number of other just really amazing entrepreneurs in this book called Bootstrap Business. And it was published last September. And, you know, what it did is it, it just allowed me, as I said, to take take a little bit of a break from my industry and from my expertise and to realize that all the learning I had done, um, you know, was really going to be valuable to other people and even the painful parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a powerful part of the rebounding process. Well, talk about risk. I mean, the the risk with the VC, you know, you obviously have so many examples of risk in what you were just <laughs> talking about there. So <laughs> how do you feel that risk really, you know, risk-taking really fits into the whole rebounding process or experience? Obviously, um, you, you, uh, you went out there yourself, so you must see it as a pretty integral part. Well, I, I'm not sure that I really uh, – thought about a lot of these risks ahead of time. I mean, if I had ever realized uh, then what I know now about the huge cliff I was stepping off of in building this technology company, I mean, we knew we were going to need a big chunk of money, but we didn't know how much money uh, we were really Mm going to need. And my partner and I, uh, you know, were equally putting money in from our own resources. And you know, I mean, I didn't have enormous resources, I, I just want to tell you, and I'm not sure she did either, but it was only about four months before we came to the end of our own resources. And, and while we had a lot of people who were working with us, um, you know, working for equity and, uh, you know, they were passionate about what we were building, I didn't have any real idea. So I, I think in some way that blissful ignorance protects you <laughs> yeah. when you take those risks that really make life uh, worthwhile. And and so what we ended up doing, um, you know, and, and again, I I never would have considered myself a risk taker early on, earlier in life. And I remember even back when I was in my 20s, um, I went to work for a company that uh, sold accounting systems. And, and I actually was hired to go out and train people. Well, about three months after I had come on board, I had installed all the systems that they had sold. And they, they told me, okay, now you're the VP of sales. And I'm like, Holy cow, and I actually stayed home sick for three days on the couch. 
And mm. and I remember thinking, you know, I I can't in, even envision myself doing this. I don't want to work for commission. You know, I need the security of a paycheck. Uh, I'm single, and or at the time I was. Um, but you know, at the end of the three days, I thought, you know what? I don't have to like this, but I do have to do it. And and I I did have a choice, obviously, to walk away from it. But what ended up happening is, uh, you know, I did it, and I found out I was really good at it. And and now I'm at a place where, you know, I mean, convincing somebody to put six million dollars into a venture is, um, you know, not for the faint of heart. But you know, he put in money because I was passionate about what I was doing. I was say it's and, your passion that drove it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, everything comes back to that. And and wanting to leave a legacy for me, my legacy was I had consulted to the travel industry for ten years. And I watched an industry that is by far the leader in online travel, uh, producing more revenues uh, than, than any other industry, but yet only 1% of all people who visit a travel website convert to a sale. And I thought, you know what, if I were a retailer on Madison Avenue and 100 people walked in my store and only one bought, you know, I would be just going crazy. I'd be hiring the best merchandising consultant. And so I set out with this great group of people and, uh, you know, and, uh, again, an amazing amount of money, just not enough money uh, to solve that problem. And so, it, you know, again, it was very, very exciting. Uh, but uh, I think risk-taking plays a lot into this rebounding experience, to get back to your question. And, you know, when you are, are in that place where you have to decide whether you go back into corporate America or whether you go out on your own, um, you know, no matter what you're going to do, I think you really have to test how you feel about security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you pointed out earlier, corporate America is not a place where security even exists anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the illusion, right? Uh, yeah. The illusion is security, that the choice is, well, if I just go get another job, I'll, I'll have security, you know, versus, um, you know, this, this risk over here, which which is more... Um, obvious, maybe, in being an entrepreneur or going out on your own. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right, Chickie. I mean, the security in corporate America doesn't exist anymore. And the higher you are up on the food chain, actually, the more risk there is, <laughs> the less secure <laughs> it is, you know, That's which true. is also a reversal of um, what we what we kind of saw in corporate America being you know, this notion of, well, if I just work hard enough, long enough, and work my way up the corporate ladder, then I'll reach a day someday when I don't have to worry about losing my job. Right. You know, because I'll be the boss. And um, and when, what do we see? I mean, we see CEOs and top executives being called out every day. Right. You know? So have you ever looked back? Have you ever looked back and um, and wished you were back in a corporate job? Or, or have you adjusted <laughs> to the... Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, it is so funny because I, like every once in a while I'll think about it and then it's like, nah. And I've gone back and I've consulted with every company I've I've worked for in the past. And when I walk mm-hmm. through the halls, I just, I, I can't even believe the amount of oppression I feel. Now, it's not that people there feel that level of oppression. But once you have gotten a taste of of really determining your own destiny, and I was a very hard worker in corporate America. I mean, I worked for a division of American Airlines that became the Sabre uh, company that was eventually spun out uh, public and and now is uh, owned by a a number of private equity firms. And I went to work for Worldspan, which was owned by Delta Northwest and TWA at the time. And I worked for some really, really fun companies. It's actually a very fun time in the industry. But the industry has changed. And and the components within that industry don't really even like each other very much. And they, they certainly don't value each other. And the business models are broken. And, you know, I look at, at my friends who are still in corporate jobs, and, and again, I mean, they do have some level of security. I mean, they have a paycheck every two weeks. I don't. And, um, you know, and, and really it's, it's the, the money flow, I think, and, and uh, you know, perhaps some of the security that, that sometimes feels appealing. But I didn't actually decide to step out on my own uh, and decide to form my own company. I went the path that many of our listeners uh, also, uh, I think, are going through. Back in 1995, 
Um, I was in a company uh, that was actually based in Paris, run by some very, very French men. And I apologize if we have any French men listening to this show. Um, but I was the highest-ranking woman in a billion-dollar telecommunications company, and I was treated like an administrative assistant. And when, when my boss, who was going to be the CEO of a, a part of the company that we were spinning out, selected me for a team to work with Morgan Stanley Capital Partners on the spin out of, of these assets of the company. Um, you know, I was very happy and, and you know delighted to work on that team because it was a four-person team and, and it was very a very exclusive group. But then one day he asked me if I knew of any powerful guys for the VP of marketing and that it would be really helpful, helpful if he looked like a football player. And I mean, I sat across from this guy uh, and we were in Atlanta at the time, and all I could think of was, do you have any idea that, first of all, you can't even say that out loud in the United States. But, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even <laughs> want to go there because, you know, the whole point was he didn't have any idea what I could do. And, you know, I brought my resume into him the next day because he hadn't been the one to actually hire me into the company. And I said, you know, Didier, I don't think that you know uh, what it is that I do. And he kind of hemmed and hawed around because, I mean, he really had in his mind that that's the persona he wanted in that very, very highly visible role because they were planning on IPOing, uh, you know, this this new new entity. And, you know, he offered me the, the CIO role. And I had just spent a year doing a year-long business process reengineering project as a part of this spin-out. And I was just so tired of, you know, looking at your own navel and spending all of your time in meetings and conference calls. And I wanted to get out and, and actually talk about the company. And uh, so I ended up leaving. My mom had just had a stroke. And, you know, when you talk about leaving your legacy, I mean, one of the things you want to do is to honor the legacy of your parents. And, and we don't live in isolation where it's just us and our career. We've got families, we've got husbands, we've got children, and, and we've got friends, and, and we've got, uh, you know, potential employees to depend on us. And one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur is actually to provide opportunity to other people. Yeah, that really is a powerful place to be able to be in. When you think about what that really means, it, it's really staggering. And and I just get so, so grateful for the opportunity. You really are at that point creating your own economy. Right. You know, just through the creative um, impulses and, you know, what you had said at the beginning of the show is so important, letting your passion drive that. So what it sounds like is, you know, coming back to what you said, you didn't really make a choice to go out and start your own company. It sounds like the choice kind of made itself. Yes, it, it actually came to me, and I did end up taking a, a job offer with a, a small early stage company. Uh, it was going to be uh, kind of put into a public shell, and they were going to offer me a, a good six figure salary plus uh, options in, in the company. And so I did move back into uh, a, a new role. It wasn't a, a corporate role by any stretch, but uh, you know, going into an early stage company. And what ended up happening is 90 days later, they didn't have any money for payroll. And so I learned the first time around, <laughs> and you would think I yeah. would have learned and, and kind of gone back for the security, but uh, I learned that uh, financial uncertainty is inherent in being in an entrepreneurial venture. And, you know, the way I coped with it then, and this was back in 1996, I didn't have children, but I was married. And I came home, and my, my husband was kind of playing around in an entrepreneurial venture, but he's a really, really great salesperson. So I came home, and I said, look, honey, uh, it is not time for us both uh, to be without a regular income. You need to go out and find a great sales job. And so he did and you know, got a, a job with, with benefits and enough to pay our mortgage and you know, we were just getting ready to start uh, having children, and you know, I was already close to forty, so it, it was time to get that show on the road if we were going to. But uh, you know, it was really interesting then how I just I kept networking and trying to find a job, and we lived in Atlanta at the time, and we didn't really want to move. And uh, what ended up happening is people started calling me and saying, "Well, no, I don't know of any jobs, but so and so needs a business plan, so and so needs a marketing plan, so and so needs a." a competitive study. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing projects back in 1996, and 15 years later, the Solutions Group is, is a global consulting firm that has done everything from launching a, a, 
a mobile travel platform for Intel and, and Siemens and Ericsson, uh, you know, down to we built LasVegas.com back in 2002. So uh, I've just been incredibly blessed by taking those risks. And, and so, you know, I do encourage people uh, when they are in between successes uh, to really think about some of their other options. And, you know, one of the things that I do with people, and, and this isn't something I do for money, it really is just for, for the love of, of helping others, is as people want to pursue those those uh, options, you know, I do like to reach out and help them. So if you are listening to the show, you know, you can connect to me uh, through the Blog Talk Radio platform and, and uh, you know, just ask away with whatever questions. We, we've had one, one listener who uh, is, is interested in hearing a little bit more about my other venture, and I'm afraid that we're going to run out of uh, some, some time. But, uh, you know, I will just briefly mention, uh, you know, kind of the nature of that venture. As I mentioned, it was my job, uh, or the job I took on, was really to transform the way that people um, interacted with with a system online. And and it happened to be travel, but it really could be anything. You know, I realized uh, that what was happening is that the dialogue that you have with people when you're trying to sell them something online, and in particular in the travel travel industry, you only get to pick one way that your product is displayed. And in the travel industry, that's from low price to high price. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. caused uh, just a huge deterioration of profitability of the travel suppliers in my industry. And I thought, you know, what what's different? Like when you go and sit down with a travel agent, it, it's that the dialogue is about, you know, who are you traveling with? What do you like to do when you're with those particular people? Um, you know, yes, where and when are you traveling, which is exactly the dialogue of all online travel, but also how are you getting there? And every single system in the travel industry is geared at the 15% of people who fly. Well, there are 85% who drive. And so we thought it was really important to incorporate in the how are you traveling, if you're traveling by car or taxi or RV or motorcycle. And so essentially, just in a nutshell, we knit together travel planning, booking, mapping, navigation, and geo-coded content, so uh, location-based content. Uh, in a platform uh, that helps people plan their entire journey and, and not just uh, travel to a destination. So anyway, sorry for that detour, but uh, we do have folks on the chat room who are, who are asking questions, and I wanted to be responsive to that. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a really exciting venture. Well, what advice would you give to those people that are trying to decide between pursuing another job in corporate America versus starting something on their own or maybe joining a smaller or an early-stage company? Because it well, sounds I, like um, you certainly have a lot of takeaways that you've gathered <laughs> throughout the years. Oh, Teresa, I do. And, and you know, I mean, one of the things I love, uh, and, and it was on, on your brief about your book, Rebounding, which, uh, again, for those who might have joined us later in the call, Teresa is the author of a book called Rebounding, A Practical Guide for Getting Up and Getting Over It. Um, you had a quote at the bottom by R. Halverson of, it is not failing that's the problem. It's what one does after he has failed. And in my life, it's so funny because as I tell my story, and, and, and if I went through and told you my whole career story, there are a whole bunch of pieces of it that involve failure. And, you know, I don't yeah. think of it that way. But, I mean, just as an example, when we got hired by Intel, well, my, my very first million-dollar consulting project was with Carlson Companies, and we built a platform called 24K, which was a brilliant concept. They had gold bond stamps, and, you know, so the whole uh, takeaway on gold in 24K, uh, you know, was that you were going to be able to take your loyalty points and, and use it for travel and retail goods, and and so my company came in and helped build the travel part of that. Well, again, I mean, it was my very first million-dollar project. I was so excited. But what ended up happening is they shut it down nine months after it was built because they you know, didn't really want to spend the money on branding it. Uh, although when mm-hmm. you think about it, 24K would have branded itself you know, had, had they had all of the social media that we have now. You know, and my next project was with Intel and and. Uh, again, they had raised $8 million, and we built out a mobile travel platform called Persona, which was like a great executive assistant. But the problem was we were building it in you know, the 2000-2001 timeframe, which is right when all the dot-com stuff was blowing up. And so that got shut down. Then we built LasVegas.com, which was incredibly successful, but then Vegas.com bought it. And now you can't see anything that we built other than the gorgeous eyes on the logo uh, on on uh, lasvegas.com. But, you know, what I have learned, Teresa, is that 
the best teacher is failure. And if and yes. in every single one of our consulting ventures now, we sit back, and, and even if it was highly successful, we go back and, and we do a postmortem. And, and I, don't, I, I don't actually like the term postmortem, but it, it really is what you need to do of looking at the things that you did really, really well and the things mm-hmm. that didn't go so well. And so as people are trying to figure out where they belong moving forward, the very first thing I have them do, and I mentioned this yesterday on our show with Libby and Dondi as well, take a piece of paper and draw a plus sign, uh, you know, top to bottom and, and side to side. And at the top, on the left-hand side, put the, the word love. And on the right-hand side, put the word hate. And down the left-hand side, uh, at the top, put do well. And at the bottom, do, put do badly. And the first thing you have to figure out, and, and this is all about finding that passion, is what do you love and do well? What do you do well that you actually hate or prefer not to do on a regular basis? And those things that you hate and do well, you should either be managing other people or managing outsourced resources. You shouldn't take a job that forces you in that upper right quadrant. Now, things that you love and either do badly or have never tried are things where you need to find a mentor and you need to find somebody who can coach you or or provide training for you on those things. And it goes without saying that things in the hate and do badly are never tried. You know, you should just put a big X in that quadrant. Yeah, Yeah. because you shouldn't have those things. And then, you know, you, you need to go back with a highlighter. And one highlighter should mean it energizes me and another should mean it drains me. And and it's possible to have things that you hate and do well that actually energize you. And uh, you can listen to the show yesterday uh, with Libby and Don because we talked about that. But, you know, once you've done that, then the other thing is you have to assess your willingness to risk. And I can tell you it is great fun working on an early stage company, even if you're not the one with your, uh, you know, your finances hanging out to dry. Um, being it part really of an early stage team, there is nothing better. Everybody is focused. Um, you're living on entrepreneurial energy, and you don't have to live in that corporate America of living in in so many meetings and conference calls that you have no idea when you're actually going to get your real work done. And I know that there are some companies that aren't like that, but I got to tell you, you know, most of the people I know, it takes me three or four weeks to get on their calendar if I need an hour, an hour and a half. And well, and, that early stage energy is just so creative. It's yep. so exciting because there's so much creation going on. Exactly. And then, you know, the other thing is, do you hang out your shingle? And, you know, we're experimenting with this right now. I mean, the Solutions Group has always been a consulting firm that has allowed people to operate under our brand, but to bring their skill sets to the table and to, to sell into a bigger vision. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people who have their own shingle hung out for whatever they're good at that could be part of a million-dollar project. You know, you just can't pitch something that big. But the solutions group has been able, uh, because we can pull together purpose-built teams of people who love what they're doing and are really, really expert, I can compete head-to-head with Accenture. Uh, you know, uh, well, they've all changed names now. I don't know who's still left, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, you know, you name it. But, you know, because we don't have this bench of people who learn at the customer's expense, uh, you know, we have the ability uh, to just, you know, swoop in and, and do whatever needs to be done, you know, which is why I picked the name solution. So there's more than just hanging out your own shingle. You can actually join up and, and merge with people who are, are kind of in a similar situation. And a lot of it has to do with your bank account and how much can you tolerate. So. Um, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of the show, Teresa, but it has just been, you know, thank you so much for asking me the questions. Quite often I do want to share and I don't get that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I would love to find, uh, find something else that you and I can do together because this has just been great fun. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, I, and I want to encourage our, our listeners out there. There's so many blog opportunities to really share and post experiences that you've had. Um, in your own transition, um, my blog is available at www.readytorebound.com, and I would love for people there to share their transition stories. You know, just as oh, we've had an that. opportunity to do that here, um, you can also find information. There is an ebook version available, and then the um, rebounding will be released in paperback and hardcover in the next two weeks. So, oh, that is so um, great. thank you so much. Yeah, I, I really think um, 
you know, we do we do live at a time with tremendous opportunity, and it's just putting that positive spin on it, and um, you know, helping people see the choices that are in front of them. That is really where the power lies. So, exactly. thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm just going to play our music. If you want to get in touch with me, it's Chicky, C-H-I-C-K-E, at solutionswithaz.com. I don't mind if you got something nice to say about me. I enjoy an accolade like the rest. You could take my picture and hang it in a gallery of all the who's who.
Evolution Script. This is Chicky. 